what is your goal with your business right now? Not even what is your media goal? Just what's your goal with your business, with your life, you know, long-term and short-term? We look at both and say, okay, what's the audience you're trying to attract? Welcome to A Little Impolite, the podcast that's unafraid to dive into unconventional thoughts and ideas. I'm your host, Devo, inviting you to embark on a journey into thought-provoking discussions, expansive revelations, and the stories of inspiring individuals. We're here to challenge norms, provoke intellectual curiosity, and engage in candid conversations about society, culture, and the human condition, all with a slight touch of polite impropriety. From experts questioning the status quo to creatives daring to think differently, you'll hear a spectrum of voices that aim to shake us out of our comfort zones. So are you ready for this enlightening journey where the expected meets the unexpected and polite society meets a dash of rebellion? Buckle up, stay curious, and let's get a little impolite. Shut up and sit down. Hello, Impolite Society. It's your host, Devo, back with another unfiltered conversation. If you've uh, been turning into a little impolite uh, for any time now, you know we don't shy away from the big, the bold, and the sometimes controversial. Our mission is to debunk common narratives, challenge the status quo, and facilitate conversations that uncover the layers of complexity that make up our world. And we like to bring guests on who match that vibe and are not afraid to explore critical thought. Today, my guest is Katie Reese. She is a media maven, a PR strategist extraordinaire who's been behind some really significant brand narratives and media campaigns that I've been following for a few years now. And why did I bring her onto the show? She's a little bit different than my typical guest. I've been fascinated by the interplay between media and society for a long time. I mean, I operate in that space and bandwidth, so why not? Curious how it influences public opinion most importantly, um, how it influences our beliefs and the role that media plays in crafting narratives that generally drive public sentiment. And so these are questions that I sort of constantly ask myself and others. And I thought it'd be really cool to bring Katie on because she's well experienced in all of these and just thought she'd be able to offer. And I've had some really good conversations. I've known Katie for a few years now, and I've, I've had some really good conversations with her around a variety of topics. So I thought she'd be well dressed to answer some of my questions. I think I met her going on three or four years now and her insights into the media landscape and PR and really it's it's an evolving role and the influence of, of public relations and how we operate our business and how we share our story and how we get our message out there and how that impacts and influences other people around us. So I thought it'd be a, a good conversation with her. I think I'm going to open up with some get to know her, something different than I normally do. So this will be more of sort of somewhat of an interview, but not an interview because when Katie and I get together, we always have these really cool conversations. Hey, Katie, how you doing? Hi, Devo. Welcome to the show. This is the first time on The Little Impolite, eh? Yes, it is. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we always have really, really great conversations. So Yeah. So this should be nothing short of that today. Yeah. And thank you for working with the schedule. We had a bit of a snafu last week. We were actually supposed to do the show last week, but I was at the beach laying in the sun, being a lazy piece yeah, of nothing. In, and that's important though. So yeah. it's all good. It was literally the only week that my kids could go without without any other scheduling constraints with lacrosse and soccer and school starting back up. So it's like 
we had one window and I took it. There's always something. So I'm glad that you got to do that though. So it was no problem, but yeah, I, well, um, well truth be really told, excited. I actually was, I was actually gonna do the show from the beach, but it was so hot. It's like dying out there. I really appreciate where I live, Charlotte, because the temperature is the same, but the humidity at the beach was like, I cannot even describe what it was. You walk outside and just complete breakneck sweat. It's crazy. Yeah, it was really hot up here in Maryland, too. It wasn't it was not comfortable. So Katie, I want to spend a few minutes getting to know you a little bit and how you got into PR and media and all the things. So if you can take me back to a younger version of yourself a few years back, how'd you get onto this journey? Yeah. So I started as a TV news producer. I always wanted to be in news. I don't know if it was from watching Meet the Press with my mom. This is actually a piece of the Meet the Press set that my husband rescued when they were demolishing the set that they, oh, cool. then they moved to a new building. Yeah. I think that got me into, and I just love Tim Resser and he's one of my heroes. I think I just loved watching him interview and really get to try to get to the bottom of, of things that really had mm. nothing to do with politics, but it is interesting that I ended up in the Washington DC area. So I always had, I thought a knack for storytelling and really gravitated towards journalism. And then I actually, when we started a family, turned down a job to be Candy Crowley's producer at CNN to go out and do things on my own. I was like, I can't do the hours anymore. I did every shift, every, you know, type of job in news and was like, okay, yeah, that would have been an amazing opportunity, an amazing position. But I'm going to try something else. And I never thought I would be switching to PR. If you had asked me in college where my roommate did PR and a bunch of my friends were PR majors, I was like, I do the real work, you guys. Like, I'm a journalist, you know, like, I'm going to be the one getting to the bottom of things and stories and all of that. And it's really not that glamorous is what I learned. It's Do you, really do you were you, sorry to interrupt, were you behind the desk or were you... Were you on the spot doing on-location journalism, reporting? How, what, what exactly were yeah, you doing? Yeah, at different points, I was doing different things. When I worked at CBS News, I worked for the morning program mostly, the early show back then it was called, and I got sent to stories all over the place. Most of them were tragic and horrible stories that I'd have to go and try to talk to family members who had just been through something horrific. So it wasn't fun. It wasn't great. It was... There were some fun times. Sometimes I was booking Bob Dole to be on the show or, you know, some fun celebrities. That you were just, you just showed your age. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> you you um, dropped Bob Dole. I'll just say well-known I ventured... politicians. He just sticks out in my mind. I don't remember why because he was such a presence at the time. But um... I ventured to guess there's a large majority of people who don't know who Bob Dole is anymore. <laughs> it's so funny. But I do. Remember, he, I, always, I always remember Bob Dole. I thought, I thought he had a sharp mind. Yeah. Yeah. So... And was well-respected, whether you agreed with his politics or not. Yeah. So I did just about everything. So yeah, sometimes I was behind the desk putting together briefings and bookings, doing background, calling people, all of that, you know, information gathering. And then <clears throat> sometimes I was sent to where there was a tornado that blew through a school and killed two children. And then I have to try to go and either talk, well, the family wasn't talking, but there was a good friend of one of the children who was killed and he had a broken arm and they were like, you have to get 
his family, either he or his family to talk. And I had to like camp out in front of their house and, you know, then drive them to where our live shot location was the next morning and just, you know, try to be as empathetic, but you got to be really pushy to be those morning show producers. So you have to kind of find the balance between those. And I was good at it, but I didn't love it to do it long-term. I can imagine you said something earlier. I can imagine. I haven't watched the news in probably over 10 years. I don't actually have public TV. All I have is, um, so I've never. Yeah, but you see the clips on, on, on Instagram and all of that. So, so, so where I'm going with that is I can imagine it can be really sort of depressing because a lot of the times from my perspective, anyhow, most of the stories that are reported on in, in, in nightly news are kind of negative stuff going on. It's yeah. not really. And They're so, so how, how do you, yeah. So how do you positions to get to those producing positions? So how do you keep your wits about you and, and remain optimistic in, in, in uh, such a, an onslaught of all of that? It's hard. It's hard to go into those situations and just even witness the devastation, much less have to talk to somebody and, hear them but try to not absorb what they're saying as much you know so you have to kind of put up a barrier which makes you i think less human Mm -hmm. and it's just not natural and it's it's whatever you know so all those people who see tragedies all the time er doctors and you know they you have to be empathetic and put up a barrier at the same time so mm-hmm. it gets to you after a bit. It really does. Interesting story. I, I worked, you know, I worked in the corporate world for a long time. And, and one of the elements of my job, um, I worked for a, I was a project management and I worked for a, um, a company that financed and repossessed mobile homes. That was part of their, their business mm-hmm. line, one of the business lines. And one of the me- reasons I got out of that business early on was as part of um, my job itinerary, I had to visit some of the local, really rural areas where they would do the repossessions. So I had to be on on site when they were doing the repossessions and go through these people's homes that were basically yeah. just being taken away from them. Mm-hmm. And and some of the things that you see, like especially when people leave a mobile home, like you have no idea what they do to their own home because they're now getting it taken away. So they just do all sorts of awful, unmentionable things to it. And so not that it's related to what you were doing, but just sort of that drove me out of that corporate space because I just didn't want to see that stuff anymore. Yeah. Yeah, it's really the reason I left CBS. And then I went and worked for a company that was not tragedies, but I did energy and environment news and that aired on Bloomberg TV. And that was like getting a a master's degree in energy and environment in, you know, background. So it was really interesting. It wasn't as exciting. It was a little bit slower paced than I was used to. But I really enjoyed it. I got to do some really cool things. I got to travel a lot. I got to go to the top of a wind turbine, you know, just all these things I would never have gotten to do. So that was really cool. So what was the straw that that broke the camel's back for you to leave that world and jump into a private entrepreneur stuff that you're doing now? Really wanting to control my own schedule. We were starting a family. I had a six month old and just couldn't do the long hours and the overnights and the weekends anymore and just decided to prioritize family. And I had a friend who had left and and went right into PR. The funding for our energy and environment show dried up and so kind of forced all of us out to do what we were going to do. 
a bunch of people went to CNN, you know, and, uh, and back to CBS News. And I went freelance and I decided at that point, I got a little taste of, you know, it's a hustle, but I can do it. And this was back 10 years ago, you know, mm. before everybody is doing it now. And I made it work and I thought, okay, I could do this. But it was, it was still production. It was still, it just wasn't news. It was for the World Bank. It was for US Airways. It was different projects. But a friend of mine convinced me to come work with her. She was going to open her own PR shop. And she was like, I really think you'd be good at it. I really think you, you should come work with me. And after a while of her arm twisting, I said, okay, all right, I'll try it. I'll try it. And I fell in love with it. After the first year, I said, okay, now I want to go try to work with this type of person. And I just went around and I worked for a bunch of different PR agencies, somebody who just did authors, somebody who did more corporate stuff. So I learned the differences and I learned what a book launch entails, just working with different people. And then after a few years of doing that, I said, well, I can get my own clients doing this. Mm -hmm. um, but I definitely fell in love with it. The whole time that I was like, oh, you guys, you just spin things and like, don't do the real work. I totally keep my own words with that. And mm -hmm. I definitely found that I can help still as a storyteller from the very beginning. I can still be a storyteller and help people weave their stories into the media and into different arenas, different conversations. And it's very fulfilling to be able to help. We work with entrepreneurs, authors, small businesses. They don't really do the big corporate stuff anymore. Were, were you going, I'm sorry, I want to go back. Were you bouncing around to different industries and genres so that you could get a feel for what you wanted or was that just sort of exactly the nature of the exactly beast? it kind of started as the nature of the beast and then i thought oh no i really want to try to do all the different things so that mm -hmm. then i can hone in on what i really want to do what i really want to enjoy and who i really want to serve and and what in particular was that that you really enjoyed most i think i just really like there's a lot of red tape with corporations and even i've done PR for the CEO of like a $200 million company, just the CEO. I'm not putting the company out. I was putting yeah. him out actually on politics. And he was, you know, on hardball when it still existed. I'm dating myself again. And MSNBC all the time and CNN and CNBC. And it was, it was really great because I made a lot of good contacts at those places. Mm. But that just wasn't my cup of tea. You know, I really wanted to help people at a, at the level when they wouldn't be able to do it themselves and they wouldn't be able to pay a big company necessarily to be able to get them out there. And I just found that that's just so much more rewarding to be able to help craft a message with somebody and get them out there and get them kickstarted or get them to the next level that they wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. So encapsulate that for people who don't really understand what public relations are or PR. What exactly yeah. is it that you do for for someone as a client? I like to call it more media relations. We mm -hmm. really use media to get the person elevated. However, Me that media, sorry, like I'm, I'm going to keep interjecting. Media, so media being news, podcasts, social media, all of it. bulletins, like all of the above. So you're, you're literally yeah. touching all elements of yeah. anything that can distribute a piece of information about a client to a larger audience. Exactly. Exactly. We cover, we cover everything. We even cover, you know, reaching out to influencers on social media. We don't, you know, do the social media part, but we will definitely 
have somebody reach out to do a social media live, whether it's, you know, on Instagram or LinkedIn or whatever, just or to tape something that then gets distributed among their social channels. My agency does social media. So it's always interesting to me on what strategies that we take on for clients mm -hmm. because everyone's different. Everyone has a different objective. Everyone has different play and everybody has different types of audiences they're trying to attract. So how do you decide on an individual basis or a client by client basis, what sort of media platforms and streams that you're going to try to attract audiences for them? How, how does that, how does that work? Yeah, it's really based on their goals. So we start, and I think this is how we're a little bit different, how I kind of developed this, and it's not rocket science, but I think it is a little bit different than some of the bigger agencies that kind of skip this step and they'll be mm -hmm. like, oh, they just go right to where their contacts are for somebody. Like, mm -hmm. oh, I have a contact over at Parents Magazine. I will, I will get you on or over at Bustle or over, you know, wherever their contacts are, they just go to those people. We really say, what is your goal with your business right now? Not even what is your media goal, just what's your goal with your business, with your life, you know, long-term and short-term. We look at both and say, okay, what's the audience you're trying to attract? Who's your audience? And you and I have gone through this. So you know the process a little bit, Devo. Really honing in on that audience. And then where is that audience located on social media and then do they pay attention to any other type of media and it might just be strictly online it might be podcasts it might be certain publications you know whatever it is and that's the media that we go after and then we you know our secret sauce is really to marry the person's expertise and their story and then marry that with what the media is interested in that's the key piece that a lot of people are missing, especially when they try to do it themselves. They just put themselves out there as me, 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 you know, look at me. This is my expertise. This is what I do, blah, blah, blah. But it's really fitting the person into the conversation that will make it interesting to that audience. And so doing that research and that background to know the audience is so important, but you won't know your audience until you know what your goal is. So it's really that whole process is what we use to then figure out okay, let's try to go after as many podcasts as we can. Or, you know, it might be a more niche audience. Where is that niche audience? You know, sometimes we get people in the local patch, you know, online publication so that they really reach a particular audience. It doesn't have to be the Today Show. I've had so by, so by, on big so by shows, custom. I've had it on little stuff, and it really just depends on who the audience is. So by customizing that audience for, for your clients, what, what exactly does that do? That, that enables them to not only be more intimate with what they're saying, but more connected with that audience? Or is there different reasons behind that? Yeah, you sell to that audience very specifically. So it's one of those, you try to cater to everybody, you're going to get nobody listening. Mm -hmm. So you said that in, in other agency models, they just sort of go after who they know. And if, so if you don't have those contacts already, how do you go about acquiring those contacts for somebody who has a custom audience avatar that you're trying to attract? We have contacts everywhere. And if we don't, we know how to get them very quickly. Um, you're like, we ha we know everybody, basically. That's, we, that's a, a no-avoid question. I have a great <laughs> team. And it's not just me. I have a lot of contacts, obviously, in the TV world because that's the world yeah. that I come from. I didn't know very much about you know, the print online world is what we call it. So we kind of have, there's kind of two different tracks with, with 
media. There's, Mm -hmm. I call it broadcast. And so broadcast can be TV, radio, podcast, anything that is broadcast. There's internet radio, you know, all of those are broadcast. And then we call them print online. It's basically .com. It's mostly just online now. And if it's not, if you actually get to be in the print edition of something, we just had a client recently who was in a special print edition of Harvard Business Review, for example, but it was still online also. But yeah, that's the other category is kind of print online. I see your work, actually, one of my personal friends and is also one of your clients. And I think that's actually how we connected was Dan. I see his yeah. stuff showing up on print a lot with you. So uh, yeah. we obviously know that it works. How He's do you stay at a good broadcast, too? He's got yeah. some amazing broadcasts for not even being in the U.S. <laughs> yeah. How do you stay up to date? Because media is always changing, literally, like daily. Yeah. How do you stay up to date on the latest trends in that space? It's a lot of work. I have an assistant who really just keeps the pulse of things for us. But the publicists are really good at that, too. Everybody is, I don't want to say specialized, but they definitely have contacts in a certain area more than others. And so when I talk to a potential client and somebody coming in and we kind of figure, I kind of have a good idea after not a very long conversation about which direction in what type of media they should concentrate in. And so then they are paired with the publicist that I have that is very well-versed in that type of media. So again, if somebody just want podcasts, I have an amazing podcast booker publicist. Mm -hmm. And so they pretty much stay in touch with the contacts in their type of area and stay up to date on stuff and then let the rest of the team know. But yeah, we are always monitoring inquiries, I think is how we learn a lot from things. We are always looking at what reporters are looking for. And that kind of is like, huh, I've seen three or four inquiries for this type of story over the next couple of days. Do we have anybody that we can fit into that? So always monitoring things. And yeah, it's definitely turning away from broadcast. And definitely, I mean, broadcast is even molding and changing into streaming and online. So it's uh, making sure that we're we're getting people yeah. into the right places with who their audience is. Speaking to your previous point on podcasting, uh, I, I can speak from personal experience because I've used podcast booking agencies before to mm-hmm. to book me on other people's shows. And. I can't speak to how critical it is to find the right agency that can do that for you because I've worked with a couple of not so stellar agencies that put me on shows that were in the middle of nowhere doing nothing. Like I kid you not, I I showed up on a show like for a host, no offense. I'm not like everyone do the thing, but in my world in branding, marketing, social media, photography, et cetera, I don't want to show up on a cooking show per se in Nigeria with someone who can barely speak English and has an audience of like 10. And, and, you know, I was getting, yeah, and I paid a decent amount. Sense. No, and I, I and I paid a decent amount of money f- to this agency to to book me on shows, and it became very very apparent after about five or six shows that they had no idea what they were doing, and they were just putting me on whatever show they could possibly find, and yeah. I, and so it's really critical for anyone listening to this and considering using a PR agency like Katie's that involves guesting as a as a, as part of the service, like getting on other people's shows. It's really critical to vet them because I did not. And find someone who is really going to take what you do and put you on shows through PR platforms that are really in line with your custom audience. It's really critical. 
It is. It is. And we, that's where we start. We start with that so that it's, you know, obviously if you have a media wish list that you want to get on, we will try to to do those as much as we can too. But we really try to figure out exactly with your message what that audience wants to hear and then even help people craft their message to tailor it to that audience. But yeah, a cooking show for you makes no sense. I do like to cook. I, I mean, I love cooking. I'm quite quite adequate at it. But nonetheless, as someone who's really deeply embedded in in the field of PR and media, what's your role? What's your take on the role of media in shaping public opinion? Yeah, I think it's the role has ebbed and flowed over the years, especially since I started. I actually didn't really like the way that media companies were starting to go in the direction they were starting to go in. It became just a business like anything else, greed, and not about the actual journalism as much anymore. And so that's why I definitely strayed away from it. But the role of public opinion, it's so important in that it really does shape. And that's where social media has made it a little muddy, right? Because social media has come in and and has purported to be just as newsworthy as actual news organizations. And those aren't journalists. And that scares me as somebody who is a trained journalist. Like it, it really scares me that people take what they see on social media as truth. And it's probably not, that's probably not the case. But if you get something from, I mean, it's become, well, you, that's not, hold become, on. I want to stop. Can I stop you right there? So that's not to say that everyone on social media who has an opinion about something hasn't done research and hasn't put the time into figuring no. out. And just because you don't have a broadcast journalism degree doesn't make your information misinformation necessarily. But I, you're not saying that, are you? No, I'm uh, no. I'm just saying when you there are a lot of amazing writers and and people out there. You're right. Who came to their even career as a writer, not through journalism, certainly. Mm. Are they completely unbiased, though, would be my question. Most people are not. So it's just as long as you go into it knowing their biases and knowing they're going to report it a certain way. Even NBC News reports a certain way now. You know, it's it's never unbiased, but it's definitely the lines that were there have been blurred significantly yeah. with social uh, media and I especially think it, with even big news organizations. Yeah. And that's just it, the, the nature of it right now. So sorry. I'm um, just because we're a little impolite. We're going to go down this channel for a minute. I agree with what you say because everyone has a bias. Everyone has a context. Everyone has, an, everyone has their own perspective and the information that they share. Even you and I having our conversations, we have biases in our conversations because we have, elections towards something we have animosity towards something we have injuries from something sure. and so we, we form these opinions and and it's our job as consumers of this information would you not agree to critically consume it with an open mind and knowing that it may or may not be in our best interest to find that as our truth or our mistruth but to say that the media isn't biased as a global conglomerate is also sort of a misnomer to me because 
um, they are nothing but biased. They're only allowed to present one opinion of something. And we've seen that in the last three years, if we've seen it anywhere. And, you know, mm -hmm. people, getting, people getting censored, people getting deplatformed, people who were credible sources of well-researched and critical thought information were getting kicked off because they didn't agree with the bias that the common media presented. So what you're saying is true, but it, in my opinion, sorry, in my opinion, it's prevalent on all sides. Like anybody who has a story to tell, oh, yeah. they're, they're going to come at it with some sort of personal context and bias, right? So it's our job as consumers. I'm sorry, we're going down a rabbit hole, Katie. It's our job as consumers to receive that information and be like, okay, you know, that may or may not be true. I should probably do some digging of my own and not just take it as fact. And I'm sorry, one more point at this, and I'm sure, I'm sure you've seen this, and it's been circulating more and more and more, but it's a, it's a, a, a PR reel of a newscaster in, in a common news platform starting to talk about a story. And then it flashes in with the picture and picture of a second one and a third one and a fourth one. And before the video is over, it's like 150 broadcasters across the country and world, including major platforms, literally saying verbatim the exact same story. And so, I mean, that was a scripted story that they were all told to say uniformly across the board. So, I mean, if anything is biased, I would say that that's more biased than like somebody who has their own personal social media opinion. Like they're both, they're both yeah. bastardizing the actual reality, right? Would you agree with that? I do. And what scares me is when people aren't open to doing their own research or keeping an open mind about it and mm -hmm. saying, I'm going to look into the other side of the story. That's when it gets pretty scary because mm -hmm. people just believe what they're told. And please don't do that. Like, <laughs> like you said, have an open mind. Nothing is, is gospel. Nothing is as it seems completely, even in, with major news organizations. Do we need them? Yes. Is it how we are going to make change and make a difference at the same time? You know, amazing things happen when the news gets involved. You know, it can really help people. But there is the other side of that, that it can also be very biased. So do, do we need them or, or do we need more people like you who are subjective, <laughs> objective and have taken taken the time to present real information with critical thought, critical research, and presenting that to people. Like, truthfully speaking, now this is just you and me having our conversation. Do we actually need media conglomerates like the major news platforms who are spreading just the exact same information based upon a predetermined agenda? Like, is that not doing more of a disservice to us than people like yourself who are independent free thinkers who are presenting sort of a smaller microcosm that is more intimate and directed to an audience of, of our nature? Yeah, I do think so. But it's very hard to compete with the money mm. that those companies have. And so I think they have the voice because they have the money. And how do we give the voice to people who don't have the money that they have? I think this is why I love podcasting, because we give the voice to people like you through to smaller microcosms like this, where people who have a decent audience and have a decent audience are now allowing other people who would have never heard Katie Reese's perspective or insights or critical thought or whatever it is that you have an opinion on. And now channeling this to a smaller, more intimate crowd who then receives that and then has the ability to sort of discern and critically think about it. And I think that's how you break up that conglomerate. And and the more Absolutely. people, yeah, and the more people who can do what you're doing and I'm doing, the better. From and from my opinion, this is strictly an opinion. So sorry, I didn't yeah. mean to take down that rabbit hole. No, but you know, I, you know I, I agree with have. you. I agree with you 100. The more I saw 
the direction that it was going, especially starting about 10 years ago, yeah. where it just became a business like anything else. And it was like, wait a minute, shouldn't we be doing this? Shouldn't we be doing that? And it's like, nope, nope, that either, you know, isn't going to help us in our bottom line. So we're not going to do it. And it's like, you guys, my professors would have been screaming you know, like, this is not what we do. This is not how it should be done. This is not how how it should be shaping public opinion and that it should be giving people the information and not all the things that go with it. Gonna date Wait, what what was the shift change? What was the shift that, that catalyzed that? Social media. But even before social media, news was really starting to sort of go in a common direction and to become more negative and more pernicious in nature because, you know, they were driving off people's sort of people's motivations to watch it, which is fear and propaganda and all this. Sort yeah. Of. What, what was I the shift? What, because what really changed it is going back to the 24 hour news cycle. CNN mm. changed it. MSNBC changed it. The need for the news to be there 24 hours a day and be entertaining and be all these other things that it wasn't previously is what really started to shift it. So that 24-hour news cycle just really killed it, really killed news completely. And I'll take myself here for a second. Somebody you never knew what they believed, what they thought, where their political affiliations were. There are some old-school journalists who never, ever showed their personal mm -hmm. biases. Mm -hmm. Peter Jennings. Mm -hmm. He was, I feel like, the one person you knew – you were getting certain facts from and him personally, you would never have known. I mean that, you know, he passed before a lot of social media kicked in. There was certainly not TikTok back then, but he, he never showed his political biases. Um, and he was, and he was from the era where it was, you know, one, once a day, 6 PM came on, yeah. did, did one, one show a day or one show, sorry, five shows a week, one show a day. So he wasn't part of that constant stream of constant pernicious news just in your face all day long. Mm -hmm. What was the name of the dude who used to be on, I think it was NPR and he was this sort of like quirky fellow and he, he always had this standard sign off and he would sort of run through like weird and, and just never heard of news throughout the day and he had like this really kind of like hokey voice. What was that guy's name? Was he a national a yeah, national NPR yeah. guy? I'm trying to think. And he always had the um, same sign off and he had a cute little name. And he, and I always imagined him being like a little, little um, leprechaun sitting in a news broadcast. <laughs> that was how I always imagined him. I never saw what he looked like, but we'll have to look him up after um, I'll figure it out before the show ends. Yeah. Yeah. So but you're no, obviously, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say the, the 24 hour news cycle really killed everything in terms of needing to constantly entertain people through yeah. news. The 24 hour like, news cycle morphed into the, every minute of second of every day social media cycle now, didn't it? Mm -hmm. it? It sort of happened before social media became so prevalent. Yeah. You're obviously passionate about what you do. What are some of the things in, and I want to get into some real questions in a second, because I, I kind of like having these conversations with you. What are some these of the things definitely that real questions? Yeah. What are some of the things outside of PR and media that really lights you up that also helps shape what you do as, as a profession? I really love, and, and it's nice now that we're able to do it again, since the pandemic, but just having conversations with people and, and finding what lights them up, actually. Mm -hmm. I kind of am one of those people, I absorb 
other people's energy. And I love to go out and meet people and just have conversations and like, you know, what are you giving your audience, you know, no matter what it is? I feel like storytelling and PR, I kind of always have the journalist in me, I guess, where I always am asking a lot of questions of people like, well, what about this? And what do you think about that? And what, you know, and just trying to really help them have conversations about themselves better too, and help them tell their story, no matter if it's somebody I, I'm just meeting at a, you know, meet and greet type of thing, or. Do you talk to strangers? Absolutely. So you'll be in All a grocery line and just break out a conversation with somebody? All the I'm time. Just, just I'm the like same way. Do. I'm the just same like way. My, and my kids get so embarrassed. They're like, and I don't understand how they can be embarrassed because they're my kids. And I'm like, where, where did you get that gene? Because I literally talk to anyone everywhere I go. I'm always late because I'm usually talking to people. <laughs> always so late. No matter where I go, I'm, you know, I'm asking them about things and talking to them. And then I'm late to the next thing I need to get to. My kids are like, mom, come on. You know, so. That's where we differ. I'm never late. For some reason, I have this crazy chrono chronological clock going on in my head. And I always know what time it is. I can't explain it to you. Like, it's uncanny. You could just. I wish I had that. You could ask me anywhere, any time of the day. Hey, do you know what time it is? And I'm usually off by maybe I'm somewhere in the five to ten range. It's weird. So I'm never late. But I love the fact. Um, I knew you would. I knew you were a stranger talker. Your mom's like turning over. Your mom's still around. Yes. Yes. Your parents always tell you don't. Yeah. Your parents no. always say you don't talk to strangers. I'm like, I talk to strangers all the time, but I don't want my kids talking to strangers. She does it. So I think that's where I learned it was was from watching her. Yeah. So my mom, conversations my, with people. My mom is the exact same way. And I'm like, why do you tell me not to talk to strangers? You literally talk to everyone everywhere you go. And you always yeah. tell me not to talk to strangers. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I'm also a hugger. So I end up hugging people. That's the same. <laughs> Just like my mom did. My mom's like, give me a hug. I don't care. Yeah, I'm a hugger. Yeah. Where are you originally from? I'm originally from Connecticut. Connecticut? Oh, I didn't know that. I went to school I'm in Connecticut. I'm a New England girl. Yeah. Oh. We're heading up to Rhode Island where my parents are now next week. So really oh, I, I didn't know that for some reason. For some reason, yeah. I thought you were from the South originally when I first met you. I, I went to college in Connecticut. You did? Where? Yeah, I went, to Trent I went to Trinity. No way. Yeah. I went to Syracuse. I got out of really? Connecticut. I oh, was wow. like. I am not. I am not going to school in Connecticut. It was too close. I had a four-hour minimum away from home that I knew. It was to too to cloudy and cold for me in Connecticut. I'm no offense well, to you, Connecticut people. Come to just, Syracuse. Come to Syracuse. Not, it was not it's my thing. 198 inches my senior year. I'll never forget and that. I, I played football in college, and my very first game, it was like first games are in August, and I swear to God, we had a snowstorm. Maybe it was my second game, <laughs> but I remember when I yep. came out. From, I was coming from the West Coast. And I show up and there's like three feet of snow on the field the day of the game. And I'm like, what in God's name? No scholarship is worth this much money. <laughs> Let me ask yeah. you a little bit about because you you and I have talked a lot about storytelling. And I'm I believe in the power of storytelling. What exactly does storytelling yeah. mean to, to Katie Reese? Like what what does that what is the power of storytelling? And then how do you how do you imbue that and embed that in in what you do for for your clients and what you do for your for your business? Yeah. So storytelling is really a way to get your true authentic self. It should always be a true authentic story. And which is an overused word right now. Everyone's throwing that around. Like what? So answer your question. But what does it actually mean to be authentic? Like expound upon that, I feel, because I hear this word everywhere now, everywhere you go. It's like, be, be real, be authentic. Like, be What does that even mean? Yeah, it means. Well, to me, it means putting aside your biases and using your 
using, I guess, your own opinion and your own way of doing things and really just putting yourself out there, you know, being true to how you feel and how you see the world and how you see things. But what do you want people to know about you? What do you want them to remember you by? What is that little nugget that Devo wants people to know that him by? Like, I know you as basically the human connector, right? You connect people. So what part of that story do you want people to know? And that's just making sure that it's something you can embody. It's something that you can live. It's something that you portray all the time. It's not something like, oh, I, you know, you don't make stuff up. You don't try to boast about it. You don't try to puff yourself up more than, than needs to be. And just really, is it something that you truly do live every day? What's that fine line between boasting yourself up or talking about yourself and narcissism and just an ego-based PR? Because I know a lot of people have, I know a lot of clients that I work, they have this imposter syndrome where I suffer from it myself as well. Like It's hard. Like talking about myself and just telling people what I do and why I do it and, you know, how good I am at it or whatever. It's like, I, that's not my style. So finding, finding some sort of fabric to be able to share my story with people without sounding like I'm bragging and being vain based, but at the same time, like being able to share my story. Cause if you don't know, you don't know, like, how are they going to find out? So what's that fine line? It took me a while to get used to that too. And I help coach clients through how to, you know, when you get a good media hit, for example, then how do you not just sound like you're bragging to your mm-hmm. audience? And there are different ways that you can that you can do it. And it's really just about making it an interesting conversation rather than just me, me, me. It's also mm-hmm. asking questions and making it just a really interesting conversation or is- interesting tidbit. But I've also learned that a lot of times People won't see it as bragging. People won't see it if you are, if it is true to something that that you feel that you do, it comes across as being really genuine. So if you're really genuine about it and you make it a conversation and it's not just throwing it in somebody's face, we do this a lot because it's not just that we get people on the media. It's then what do you do with your media placements once you get them? You know, I have a client who was just in, it was a whole feature about her in on CNBC on a segment called Make It, which we love because you can get more in depth, more detail on people and they do feature people. And she was really hesitant to share it with people. People also want to know this stuff about you. They probably will find it interesting. So you just have to, to think about, are you interested in hearing about other people? Because I know you are. Yeah, that's why, that's, that's why we do this always, podcast. Uh, you're always the one asking questions, but people want to know just as much as you want to know about them. They want to know about you, too. Sorry, is is do people want to know this sort of living vicariously through other people? Because that's sort of what it is in a way. Have people just become conditioned to that now because of the prevalence of social media and the availability of news about everyone? Yeah. I can find out, you know, 25 facts about you in about 16 seconds through a couple of searches and other and other queries. And 
when I hear about you on social media and I see you on podcasts and all these different things, it's almost like I've become conditioned to accept that narrative that people are just going to talk about themselves. So again, I want to go back to my original question. What's that fine line between talking about yourself and sharing information without bragging about it and coming across as narcissistic around it? I think it's just the way you present it. Um, it's the delivery. It's the delivery. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think the information can be the same. And it's obviously really important what you put out there because it can be found in two seconds. So mm -hmm. it's all in the delivery. It's all in in being genuine about it. Is that also part of what you do? Sorry, the reverse mm -hmm. engineering of PR. So bad PR. So as part of your services, because, you know, I'm sure everybody's got things out there that that that, that surface. I had a few years ago, I had somebody wrote a horrible review on my photography agency. You know, it turned out to be they were just miffing about something. But nonetheless, like, does your agency and your service offer that reverse engineering of bad PR? Like yeah, reputation absolutely. management, I guess that's what it's called. Yep. Reputation management. Yeah. Yep. And I would tell you, use that bad review as an example. Like, mm -hmm. don't shy away from it. Use it. You then change the narrative around it. You then control the message around it to say, you know, not all the time, but don't hide it. Don't get angry about it publicly. Obviously, you can get angry <laughs> about it as much as you want, but publicly use it to, to kind of, you know, we're used to bad reviews at this point from people. It's really hard when that happens. Well, not really. It's the only one I've ever received, Katie. So not all of us are. <laughs> there's <laughs> always somebody, right? Like, on, you know, you go on Amazon, there's always somebody who's going to say something negative <laughs> about something. And people, I think, are used to that now. So it's kind of just about not laughing it off, but kind of just being like, yeah, this person said this about me and... I, you know, I could not laugh at it more. I could not dismiss it more because it's just not true. There's That's one of the things that I hate about social media, by the way, is that because there's always those people, like you said, who are just going to find the negative and everything, regardless of what the situation is, they're going to find yeah. the yeah. some cloudy, salty wound around it. And social media has given them a larger voice to go online, like the trollers of just nonsense. Like, you know, someone's writing a funny, a funny post or they're being intimate and vulnerable. Like, do you really need to come on there and cut them down a little bit? Like, come on, man. Do you have nothing better to do? So I've always sort of hated that aspect of social media. Me too. Me too. When you read the comments on things, <laughs> I can only go so far because I'm like, seriously, that's what there's always someone who's going to have a problem with what you say, no matter what side what, you are, no matter what, what you say, no what matter what you say. What cracks me up about the, that particular piece is that the conversation will go back and forth and everybody sort of jumps into it like this, mm -hmm. this big community. Oh, yeah. Storm. There's the defenders who now <laughs> jump in and they're like, get off here, Karen. Like, yeah. Um, Karen, no offense to all the Karens, but. <laughs> yeah, no offense to the Karens. My kids, uh, it's uh, with the beach rat um, is really heavily infested with uh, the turtles, the tortoises or whatever they are that are laying their eggs. I saw one, by the way, crossing the beach to get the water and it died. So I'm not really sure what my intervention was supposed to be on that. But the cutest little thing I've ever seen. Anyway, my two daughters and uh, their friends were out kind of walking the beach. This is like nine o'clock at night. It's nothing crazy or late. And they were using their phones or something for light. And and th there's nobody on the beach. Like we're we're on a private beach, so it was really quiet and residential. It's an area we go. And out of nowhere, apparently, I, I wasn't there. This is all hearsay. This woman appears, just like literally out of nowhere, and she was like on turtle patrol. 
and she was threatening to like turn them into the police and call security and all. And I'm just like, they weren't doing anything. There was no alcohol involved. There was no drugs. They were literally just walking the beach and hanging out like teenagers do. And this Karen that you referenced um, appeared out of nowhere and had just nothing but horrible things to do and say. And so it was just, it's, it's and there's definitely the a way to be like, Hey guys, I'm here watching the turtles the light yeah. from your phones is really bad for exactly. them like can you just turn it off when you're walking past this particular area exactly. like why do you have to jump to oh my god i'm gonna turn you into the police blah 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 blah, blah. like <laughs> i i yeah. can't stand those I, types of I people and <laughs> i had i was like i wish so badly i had been there with you on the beach that night because i would have so i had I, I have a different way to deal with that type of stuff so um <laughs> i we don't have a lot of time left I just shame those people i just say you know these are teenagers, obviously, and these are people that, you know, these are just educate them. Shame on yeah. you for just jumping right to screaming at somebody. They don't know what you know. So just educate them. That is and exactly they will, what I said. And they will, they'll be happy to. They're not, you know, they're going to yeah. jump back and get nasty when you get nasty. So yeah. all you have to do is educate people on things. And they, if you do it in a nice way. So going back to your original question, when you're delivering your story or you're saying I was on this amazing podcast, the people who, the people who get somewhere with, especially with media placement, really learn how to ride that fine line in their delivery to make it interesting, to make it a conversation with people, to not make it seem like they're just bragging. And they have probably been coached on how to get through imposter syndrome they probably have been coached on how to keep it around the topics that you're talking about and not just about yourself. So that's what I tell people is when you're putting out an interview, talk about the topic. Don't just say, I was on Devo's podcast. We, you know, I, it's not just bragging that you were on CNBC or CNN or on a particular podcast, whatever it is. It's really about, I had this amazing conversation with this person about this topic mm -hmm. and that gets you the same type of thing, but there's a total difference in the shift of that delivery and how it's presented. And what do you think about what we talked about and end it on a question so that it gets people into the conversation? You're going to have to do 15 posts on this podcast because we've talked about so many different things. We've talked about a lot. Yeah. I'm going to take you in the last 10 minutes through sort of a hot seat, if you will. So we can't, you don't have a lot of time to expound on them. Just like first thoughts that come to mind. Okay. Okay. Uh, is, that, is that cool? I've not done this before. So are you cool with that? Yeah. Democracy and media. We hear this kind of being thrown around a lot right now. We've talked about it already, but how does media influence the public opinion and how does this impact our country as a democracy? Wow. You're starting off with a heavy topic. Oh, these are the um, hot seats, girlfriend. We're not going right. <laughs> What was the first part of the question? How does it, how does it shape? How does the opinion? impact, how does the okay. impact and proliferation of a common media voice impact, quote unquote, a democracy? I don't think it should be a common media voice. I think there should be differing opinions. If there's not, then that's where we run into trouble. Absolutely. Because we do, it, it does frame our future with our policymakers and who we vote for and it makes a big difference so it i don't think it should be a common media i think there is hot say you is, don't get to allow you don't get to extrapolate okay. too much 
I just I got a lot I of questions, Katie. One Let's last point. One last point. All right. The good thing about social media is it has expanded the differing opinions and has allowed people to have another place to turn to, another place to go to besides just the big media conglomerates to get their information. So I think that is the only, you know, that is a good piece of, of social media. Let's talk about that then. Hot seat question. How does the power of storytelling and social media help shape norms and values on a smaller microcosm? Oh, it shapes it tremendously. I think it, we don't give it enough credit and we should because whether we believe it or not, or we know it's even happening consciously, happening consciously, it shapes how we think, how we feel, how we see the world, because that is how we see the world because we're in our little microcosms. We don't tend to leave our vicinities very often. And so when we're sitting here in our little bubbles it's how we see the world outside and so it shapes it tremendously for good or for bad it just mm -hmm. it really does and if it's done properly it can build a community absolutely it can be for good too absolutely i got a lot of flack sorry i'm getting off your hot seat for a second i, I took a lot of flack for some of the stances i took over the last few years and i, I had a former business partner who well, she's not my business partner anymore that you know, reprimanded me on a regular basis because I was taking a stance on something that was really near and dear to me and it wasn't business related. And to be frank with you, my, my position on it was is by presenting my voice on this, I'm building a community of people that I actually want to do work with. I, the people that are sort of in line with my direction and philosophy because I don't want to be in, in my line of business. I'm promoting people just like you are. Mm -hmm. And I have sort of a moral compass around that. And I'm not going to work with somebody who goes against literally every narrative I believe in. So I can, it, it just makes me superficial because I believe in X, Y, and Z, but now I'm over here promoting something completely antithesis to what I believe in. And I'm getting paid to do that. And it just seems to go back to your earlier word, disingenuous and inauthentic to me. Mm -hmm. And so I got in trouble for that, but sorry, um, crisis communication, because <laughs> we're in, we're uh, in the, but I think we're in support the people can tell when you're, pimping for lack of a better word, when you're putting out information and it's not something you believe in, yeah. then people can tell right away. I think yeah. people can see through that. So I don't think that serves anybody anyway. It really I doesn't saw, serve anybody anyway. I saw a video surfacing recently and sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you. I'm just trying to get, I have so much stuff I want to talk about. I'm trying to get into it as quickly as I can. Yeah. Um, I saw a video surface recently of a, of an influencer. She was cleaning the beach somewhere. Have you seen this video? No. He was cleaning the beach and picking up trash and throwing it away and stuff and like doing all sorts of dramatic things around it. Like the wind was blowing and like, anyway, it turns out that she had assistants that were actually throwing trash and it was blowing. And then as soon as she picked up the trash and had finished cleaning up the beach and the filming was over, she just left it there on the beach and walked away and was like doing a dance because she had been shown on social media, cleaning up and doing her job. I mean, and just the like, good thing about today is that those people get called out a lot more than yeah, they used to because yeah. Somebody's there with a phone taking pictures or video being like, look at this fraud. It's, <laughs> so it's, me. You know, it's easier to be a fraud up front, but then you get caught a lot quicker <laughs> if you're if you're a fraud. Yeah. I mean, let's switch to crisis communication. What is the role of, of we as many journalists, even though we're not and we don't have your credentials and background? What is our role in a crisis to present information and. How can other people learn from that and adopt standards and, and morals around that? 
That's a great question. Morals are something that I think we need to build into our society, but how do we do that without offending people? It's something that we're just going to have to wade through, I think. But as I think you have to try to go by your own moral compass, right? Like, and yours is going to be different than the person next to you. And just do what is what comes to you as seeming right and what Mm. is right and Mm -hmm. moral and just. And it's not about being against someone else, just staying true to what your morals are. That's Mm. the part that I think is really hard for people is if I believe something, then someone else disagrees, then they're like the enemy. Mm. (laughs) They don't have to be the enemy. We can all be here collectively doing good for everyone. Mm -hmm. And the way we go about it might be different, but that needs to be okay. And that's the part that is really hard, I think, in our society today is that if you do something different than I do, you're bad. And you're seen as, you know, that's not okay with me. So it can't be okay. Do you, um, is that going to answer your question at all? No, your answer is not right or wrong. It's how you feel. So I actually wrote a newsletter on this topic, I think, three weeks ago. Do you get my newsletter? You should. I do. I did I, read that I, I newsletter. I actually wrote on this on like how yeah. you're going to offend people, and it's not our job to get offended because we have, we have a choice in how we respond. But yeah. if people are telling the truth and it's their truth and might not be our truth, why is it? Why am I right and they're Why wrong? Why can't we respect that person's truth? Yeah, I've never really understood that. And not to go down another rabbit hole, but like the whole idea of religion, it, I've never, it's always baffled me that there are 16,000, probably more, I don't even know the number, different religions in the world. And everyone thinks that they're right and everyone mm-hmm. else thinks that you're wrong. And I've never yeah. understood why, why is someone's religion wrong and yours is right? Like, I've never understood that. If I want to believe in this, you can believe in that. Like, you do you, I'll do me. I've never understood why people get so crazy and sacrilegious crazy. around something crazy. that you believe in you. So what makes you right? Like, I've never understood that. It's yeah. bonkers to me. And it can be okay that someone else believes something different. You and I are so on the same page with this. I completely agree with you. And when I read that newsletter, I was like, yes, finally. And I think as long as you, you, I think it's fear. Mm. I think it's fear of the unknown. I think it's fear of being, of having something different out there. Mm. So people are fearful. There's a lot of fear. Around, and, and, what they, and, and, around what they don't know. So it's like, go out and educate yourself and then you will yeah. feel more comfortable with what you don't know. And then you won't be as fearful and you won't turn to the person next to you and say, oh my gosh, you're evil because you're a different religion or you believe in something different than I do. And we'll stop shooting each other. I agree with you 100%. I have a theory on this whole fear base. I, if, from my perspective, if somebody's, and, and because I have fears, and this is why I know this to be true, because there are certain things that I'm just, I have fear around. And I think my fear centers around the fact that if I had to physically face my fear and realize that I was wrong, I would know that I was wrong about something. And everything that I ever held to be my truth is now null and void. And I think that a lot of people are afraid to find out that everything they ever believed in is completely contrarian to that and that they're going to have to actually put in some work and some fucking effort to actually figure out what the better way is to do something. Because if this is always what I believed in and I'm suddenly told that everything I ever believe in is wrong, that literally changes 
everything for you, right? And so I don't think that people want to find out that they're wrong about anything because they refuse to have to put in the work to figure out otherwise. And I can go on and on and on with that one, but that's- uh, Yeah, and I'm not saying that that we shouldn't have fear because fear is a great motivator, right? Yeah, but if you don't do anything about it, that's the point, if you don't do anything about it. If you use it to hide, if if you don't know how to handle the fear, if you don't know what to do with it, if you just let it put up a wall and then you aren't discovering the other sides of things, then that's where it becomes a problem. Absolutely. All right. Next question. We're running out of time. How can people, since we're, we're talking about fear and credible information and inauthentic and disingenuine and versus genuine, how can people really distinguish between credible, credible news and misinformation, whether it's coming mm. from, the, from the mainstream media or from from some silly nonsensical Instagram feed that you're watching, how can people be more critically minded when they receive information and understand it and do something with it so that it doesn't become pernicious and evil? And I think there's, uh, that's a great question too. There's the opposite where you can become so cynical that you don't believe anything. And I think that's, there is a fine line there. It is about opening up your mind to that there might be, holes in that story. There might be another side to things. And what might that other side be? Just even having that mindset of there might be another side to this is helpful, is healthy. I think is a lot healthier than just believing. Don't believe anything you hear on face value, really. I mean, an expert even in Something definitely there's a counterpoint to that. And I'm not saying don't believe it to the point where you don't trust it, but just know that there's a counterpoint for everything and find out what that counterpoint is and then say, you know, it's somewhere in between. Yeah. I love it. Somewhere the truth is somewhere in between. But you can also get to the point where you're so cynical that then you don't believe anything. And that's a really that's a really sad place to be. Then you become a Nancy or a Karen, whatever that term is. <laughs> that, that, that's what happens to people who are Karen. Yeah. Well, Karen's are the, just nasty, you know, right off the bat. They just jump to right being in people's faces about things. So I think don't get whole, me wrong. I was mama bear sticking up for my son at golf camp last week. So like, you know, we all have it in us to stand up for people in a certain way, but there's definitely a right way to, approach things and then there's the carrot way <laughs> which goes back to what you said earlier it's it's the delivery of everything it's mm-hmm. how you deliver it Th- that Absolutely. whole piece on that whole piece on the last question I, I always find it interesting and it's a term that's really become to the forefront of media right now is conspiracy theories mm-hmm. and, and some of them are just wackadoodle like i get it like do you mean to tell me that in every conspiracy theory like you can't lump everything into one bucket because do you mean to tell no. me that Every conspiracy theory, like, do you mean to tell me that literally every single one of them, there's not a single bit of truth to some of that? Like, when people just lump everything into that's that's conspiracy, like, come on, dude, you mean to literally tell me that all of them are like at some point that you have to be able to stop and analyze that and like, like we just said, be a little bit critically minded around it and do some research of your own. Don't just take what somebody else told you as the truth. I know somebody very close to me who does that on a regular basis, and I'm like, dude. Let's just stop and ask ourselves a couple of questions here. Like, anyway, I'm going down a rabbit hole because I don't want to. I don't want to say who it is. All right, um, another question: yeah. Ethics. What is our role hmm. as influencers 
and everyone's an influencer. Like whether you have a million people or you have two people, if you're following somebody else's information, you're being influenced. Okay. So what is our role? And I have a small audience that reads and follows and listens. What is my role and, and my ethical role as an influencer in the distribution of information? I think it's really important. And I think people forget about the ethics of it because of social media and because of how quickly information gets out there. But I think you in particular pay more attention to it than most people do. And I think we have an obligation when we are on any type of platform that isn't private to really remember that people take what you say seriously and you have to mean what you say. And also Try to present the other side. Be a little journalist. You don't have to be a trained journalist to say, okay, here's a really interesting question. What's the other side of that? It, the ethics piece is really interesting. And it's gotten really scary because people have just thrown it out the window. Absolutely don't care. They're right. Everyone else is wrong. And when we have these conversations, that's what hopefully we can enlighten people to open up their minds a little bit to always be thinking about how it could affect someone else. Like we're always thinking as parents, how we affect our kids. It should be the same type of thing. It should be the same type of consequence that we carry when we're in a public space or on social media, whatever it is to think about how it could be taken by somebody else and have that in the back of your mind and have that feeling of obligation to make sure that it is something that is considered. That's pretty funny, this whole idea of I'm right and you're wrong. It's become a divisive nature among humans right now. This is Absolutely. This, this polarity that's sort of kind of creeping in on us. You're Republican. I'm a Democrat. You're left. I'm right. I root for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You root for the whatever. And it's like this sports, politics, news, like everything, it seems to me. And, and I tell this to my kids all the time. I talk about it a lot. It seems to me that it's almost like everything that we are being presented with now is forcing us to choose a side. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just further dividing us. And, and the divisive sides at that, they're not just like, they're not just like, am I going to have an ice cream cone, two scoops or one scoops? Like these are global geopolitical issues that are shaping the narrative of, of where we go tomorrow. And everywhere you go in the mainstream, it seems like, Everything we're presented with is a divisive nature intended to polarize us. So because it's quick information, it's not. And that's why podcasting is so great. And I definitely steer people towards podcasting. I have a couple of clients that are like, I'm getting burnt out on podcasts. Keep doing it. Keep at it. It's where real discussions can happen because we have a longer platform. I agree. And news has to be quick and entertaining and and all of this. We don't. We don't enter into a space that allows people to really open up their minds and take in other information than what's black and white and what's right in front of them. And so the news has really, talk about shaping public opinion, the news has really forced us to only think in those terms. And it's it's really bothers me, first of all, as somebody who was like, you know, beaten into there has to be, you have to present both sides. You have to make sure that you take into consideration that there's more information out there or there's a hole in that story or what else is out there. Yeah. But I think the quick nature of how our news is delivered has really been 
the downfall for that because we don't have these larger discussions. Well, that that's my problem with with news in general and why I turned off my TV 10 years ago is that, and I'm still on social media, so, I, so I'm very careful on what I consume, but we've become so denatured against critical thinking around stuff and so conditioned to just accept really quick bits, like instant gratification information. Yeah. And then we take that and then we go share. It's like that. It's like that game we used to play as kids. I don't think they do it anymore. But remember when you would whisper in someone's ear and you'd have to go through all your friends or family and, and, yeah, and by the time, was it, what was it called? Telephone. It's, uh, yeah, by, it's a game by the time it got back to me, it was so like, it's yeah. dinner. Yeah. yeah but, it's, but, it's a totally different saying. It's a totally different thing. Yeah. So yeah. That, that's, that's sort of what I see happening right now, but we're all playing like this giant game of telephone. So, yeah. but that wasn't the question you got, you, th you thought that was a softball. So you have, and then we're running out of time. So you have the magic wand to, to, and that shit, I have a, another meeting, so I got to let them know you have the magic wand to solve all that problems. What are you going to do to fix that? I mean, how do you expand people's attention spans? Um, they have shrunk so much. We say that you need to get your point across now to people in eight seconds or less. <laughs> eight seconds. That's crazy. That's ridiculous. I don't even think it's eight. How long does it take I mean, you to thumb? You have like two seconds to capture some of the attention. Give or take eight seconds. And the typical quote for broadcast and in a print format is, you know, 20 seconds that you have to say or read. You know, it's 20 second snippets. I would love everybody to have the ability to spend time consuming a little bit of news. Most people don't, but news that is impactful. I would make sure that we we talk more just than about the weather and about politics and about what's wrong with the world. I think if we actually had more positive news, maybe people would pay attention. Maybe people would tune in more in a different way you were supposed so, to say and, listen to the little employee podcast and that too obviously that too but we would have people who would uh, more people would have greater attention spans to be able to listen to this conversation and actually absorb it and take it in and think huh what was the last thing that i really made a judgment on and then i was quick to judge and i should have maybe taken a second to think about the other side of that story or the answer that key. question answer what question the question you just asked what was the last time you made a sharp harsh judgment on something and didn't take the time to reflect and you ended up being wrong i don't know if i like i'm perfect i don't do this wrong <laughs> well because i don't know if there, there's not ever there's not always a right or wrong there's just how we mm, there's a right and a wrong sometimes <laughs> i disagree with you i completely disagree with you <laughs> There are shades Most of gray. Really wrong but... things are about parenting. I definitely jump to conclusions with my kids. As Agreed. It's always about parenting. It's always about me. my parenting. 100%. But I am one of those people. I think it's just the nature of trying to be open-minded. I try to listen to them. I try to make sure that I am giving them the opportunity to tell me I'm wrong. And to admit that I did something wrong and that I'm willing to correct it. Hmm. That's a good show. Good conversation. Before you jump off, you are leaving the planet tomorrow. Yeah. You have to gift you have to gift us with something. What are you gonna gift us with? What's the one ethos of Katie Reese that you want to share with us before you depart? I think 
remember how, well, I think craft your story around what you really want people to remember you by. Mm. What's one or two things that you want to be memorable with and then craft your story around that. I like that. And make it true to you. I won't use the word authentic, but make it true to what you feel and what you believe and pull out those pieces of what you want people to remember you by. And that's how you portray yourself. Love it. Katie, thank you for joining me today. It's been a good thank show. You. I'm going to put you we back in the talk all day. So we better stop here. <laughs> yeah, I have I have somebody blowing me up over here. I was supposed to be on a meeting at 20 minutes ago. So I'm sorry. Sorry I'm about that. I'm sorry to you for being late, but I didn't want to cut you off. It's been a, a good conversation. I'm going to put you in the green room for a second, if you don't mind, and then just kind of close this out. And then or if you have to go, that's cool. But just give me a nope, few minutes. I'm and I'll close it out. Okay. Thank you for being here. It's been a great show. And that wasn't a, a really incredible conversation with Katie. As I said at the outset, I really enjoy speaking with her. She's open-minded, easy to chat with, and takes a critical critical thought to everything that is said before she responds. And I, and I, lo I love that about her. I, I really enjoyed getting into the weeds of her journey and broadcast journalism and work in media and now private entrepreneur, discussing some of the challenges that she's navigated and, and, and how she's found her way to something else. So um, it's always inspiring to speak to entrepreneurs and, and hear their journey. And what I like about her, is she sort of seems to have this ability to roll with punches and, and changing trends and all the commitments she has for her work. It's pretty awesome. And just kind of getting to know her story and, and hear her take on things was refreshing and really excited that she was able to join us today. Anyhow, folks, that wraps up the episode of A Little Impolite. A big shout out to Katie Reese for hopping on and making this conversation really exciting and fun and scintillating. And to all of you folks who turned in, I hope you enjoyed the chat as much as I did. It's conversations like these that really open our minds and get us thinking differently, I hope. At least that's the reason why I podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Your feedback helps us grow and continue to bring you thought-provoking conversations with amazing people. To stay updated on our latest episodes and join the Little Impolite community, be sure to follow us on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, where we share news, updates, and even some behind-the-scenes content. For all of our episodes, show notes, and exclusive content, visit our website at alittleimpolite.com. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to A Little Impolite on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. Once again, thank you for tuning in. I'm Devo, and I look forward to having you join us for the next thought-provoking conversation on A Little Impolite. Until then, take care and stay curious.